talking about last minute, in, uh, 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 being asked at the last minute to preach and being prepared and not being prepared. Okay, and I, my, my position is when I'm not prepared, I waffle. Yeah, I just, uh, and I just go on forever. So I, that's just a warning. And, uh, and then to compound it, tonight I have six points, which, which, would make, which is double what I normally do. So we could be here some time, but someone near and dear to me who loves me told me to be brief because it's hot. So I have that going on in the back of my mind, and uh, maybe that will bless you and uh, propel me forward at higher speed. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, says Jesus in Matthew chapter 28. This is something we need to remind ourselves of, don't we? In a world where, and certainly in a country at this time, where we're a minority and we're at best ridiculed, if not pressed against. And we're told to keep our religion quiet. We can believe what we want. That's okay. Anyone can believe what they want nowadays. You can believe in fairies. That's okay. And if you're a Christian, you can believe in Jesus Christ. As long as you keep it in the background. Just keep it private. You can have whatever faith you want and believe in whatever you want. As long as you keep it in the background. Keep it quiet. Don't actually let it affect your life. Don't let it affect your behavior in your workplace don't let it affect what you say and how you say it and what you do you can do kind things but don't pe tell people that you're doing kind things because of what you believe especially if it's not very popular just keep that quiet and that's what we're being told to do that's what everyone's telling us to do but if you're a christian you're not allowed to do that that's not allowed if you're a christian you've got to let your faith Direct your life and your words and your actions. There's no such thing as private religion. This is true right from the very beginning. The very beginning of the church. And well, let's talk about the time of Jesus Christ's life. He just says, live out your faith. Live out your faith. Now, the disciples struggled to do that. Until he rose from the dead. When he rose from the dead, everything changed. Everything changed. Some people say it was Pentecost. Well, Pentecost was empowering, but a lot had been going on before then. In fact, the resurrection, let me argue this evening, is the key moment. It's the key moment. The curtain fell at Calvary on Jesus Christ's remarkable life. The great drama of Jesus Christ's life had been played out. And the disciples who were part of it didn't really understand it. In fact, though he spoke continually about what he was going to do, they didn't listen. He says regularly as he comes up to his final days, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And they say, no, and they didn't listen. And he says, then I'm going to rise again. And they didn't listen. And right up, right up to the moment he was arrested, he says, I'm going to be arrested. And Peter says, no, I'm going to fight for you. And they're hearing, but they're not hearing. They're kind of understanding, but they don't really understand. It's like 
there's a veil pulled over their eyes and stoppers in their ears. And they're kind of hearing, but they're not quite hearing. And then Jesus is arrested and he's put on trial and he's killed. And the disciples are shocked. We didn't realize this was going to happen. But he's been telling them. They've just not been listening. And they're shocked. And they're grieved. And they're heartbroken. And, and we kind of sympathize with them. It was shocking. And it was heartbreaking. And then we read in chapter 28 that after the Sabbath... They go down on the first day of the week. They go to the tomb. And the women don't think the men have done a very good job, you know. So they, they want to make sure that, that the embalming's done, done. And Jesus has been done properly. It's not unusual, is it, for women not to think that men did a good job. And so they go down and they're going to go and they're going to do a proper job. And they get to the grave. The stones rolled away. And that's a shock. An angel appears. And that's a shock. The angel speaks. And that's a shock. They're fearful. They're, 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 they're shaking. They're quivering. You, it tells them. You're, you're, they're told there's, there's an earthquake. And they're trembling. The guards are trembling. Something has happened. For the angel says, he's not here. He's risen. He's not here. He's risen. The end was not the cross. It was the beginning of something new. Something wonderful. Something powerful. The grave could not contain Jesus Christ. Death could not defeat him. The shame of the cross would not mark his life. The enemy could not defeat him. Death could not defeat him. In fact, if the enemy had done anything, it's just handed him the power. For now he's resurrected. But not in the way that Lazarus was resurrected. Lazarus was resurrected just a few months earlier, but Lazarus would die again. Lazarus was, was resurrected but the body he had was just like the body we have, you know, just a mortal body. But Jesus is resurrected with an immortal body and a new beginning. He's the first fruits of a new creation. A new era begins with a woman in the garden being comforted. One of the commentators, it's beautiful what they say. I'd like to go back to it at some point. He says this. A new era begins with a woman in a garden being comforted. Unlike Eve, who in the garden was judged, though not without mercy. You know, something new has begun. Do we recognize this remarkable new beginning? I think as Christians, we often live as the disciples lived before Christ's resurrection. We know him. We love him. We know he does remarkable things. We know he says remarkable words. But do we live 
in the power of his resurrection. Do we live in that power? And that's my question. That's my question this evening. And to try and answer it, I believe here, in what Jesus says, we have six blessings that we need to lay hold of. And uh, I don't expect you to remember all six, but I expect you to be able to go from verse 16 to verse 20 and, and remember them. Because I'm just going to take the six things from verse 16 to verse 20. My first thing, first point, we worship today a man. We worship a man. Uh, when Matthew says, when they saw him, Matthew 28, verse 17, they saw him, they worshipped him, and some doubted. That's intriguing. I want to know who doubts uh, and what's going on there. But Matthew's very careful. He says, we worship him. Uh, Jesus was very careful. He was very careful in what he received from people. And as you read his, the biography of Jesus' life, he's very careful. He moves away. When people begin to start adulating and worshipping him, it's intriguing. He moves away. It's, it's not the time. They want to make him king. They want to crown him. They want to lift him up. It's not the time. He moves away. And as you read the Gospels, he does that again and again and again. As he gets nearer to the cross, he allows people more intimacy in worship. The most beautiful thing was when the lady comes and he's lying at the table, reclining by the table, because they all reclined with their head into the table and their feet out. And the woman comes and she weeps and she cleans his feet with her hair and then she pours oil over his feet. And, and that really is the first time that I can see where he allows that level of worship, that, that level of adoration. Up until then, he's very careful. He's very careful. What I love about that is the thought that a few days later, as he was being persecuted and hounded, that fragrance would still have been there because it was a very powerful an expensive fragrance. She loved him. She loved him. We worship a man, a royal adoration. Until this point, no man has been worthy of worship. And then Jesus Christ comes on the scene and he's the only one who's worthy of worship. And we are to worship him and worship him alone. And we worship God through him. He is not just the one we worship, but he's also the one we worship through. We worship God through Jesus Christ, but we worship Jesus Christ as well. And so tonight we sing songs in a service of worship to God that lifts up Jesus Christ. We would not sing the same songs about Moses or Joseph or Abraham or David. We would not sing the same songs about Isaiah or John the Baptist because they, do, they are not worthy of worship. We would not sing the same songs about Paul or about anyone who's followed. But we sing the songs about Jesus. For Jesus is the name we honor. 
And Jesus is the name we praise. And there's something special here that we can access God through Jesus Christ. And we can worship a man. And we know that he takes us into the Father's presence. And we have someone who can sympathize with us. See, if you go to many religions and many faiths, God is far and distant and unapproachable. If you go to a Muslim, say to a Muslim, tell me about God. Allah is unapproachable. He's unapproachable. He's nothing like us. And, and really, if you speak to a Muslim, they don't believe that Allah has much sympathy for them at all, really. If you go to a Hindu, the Hindu, various Hindu groups and various Hindu faiths, their gods are distant and far away. You speak to a Christian, he's like me. He walks with me and he talks with me. And I can approach the eternal God through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the perfect image of God. It's a remarkable thing. What a remarkable change took place as Jesus is revealed in all his risen glory and they worship him and they worship him. And one day we will as well. And we'll see him in all his glory and we'll worship him with faces unveiled and will worship the Godhead through him. It's a remarkable thing what happens when Jesus rises from the dead. The second thing, we are on the victor's side. So here they are, and they're worshipping him, and they direct their worship and praise to him, but some doubt. There is doubt in some people's mind. Fascinating. And Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me in a new and in a special way. Jesus always had authority, but now in a new and special way. And, and as you read the Bible, you see it being worked out. And he says, now all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's a man in heaven who you know, if you're a Christian, who loves you, if you're a Christian, and he has all authority. You need to think about that just for a moment. There's a man on the throne in Buckingham Palace. He doesn't know you. He's not really interested in you. You will never know him. There's a man in, in the Houses of Parliament who runs the country in theory. He doesn't know you. He's not really interested in you. You can't access him. You, 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 you really struggle to get anywhere near him and get him to listen to you. No. But there's a man in heaven and he loves you and he knows you and he cares for you and he gives his life for you and you can speak to him. It's amazing. It's a wonderful thing. And he is victor. He is victor. I don't know what's going to happen in the years that lie ahead. I don't know how well the king's going to rule. I don't know how long the prime minister's going to be there and how long he's going to rule. There, I, I'm not, I can't say with any certainty that if I align myself to them, I'm on the victor's side. 
But if I align myself to Jesus Christ, I'm on the victor's side. He has all power. He has all authority. He has all might. He has all strength. I'm on the victor's side. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. He has conquered the grave. He has conquered the plans of evil men. He has conquered Satan. He has conquered the enemy that surrounds Satan. And he will continue to do so until the final moment when he himself announces the war is over. He will announce the war is over. And he will return. And he will receive us to himself. I'm on the victor's side. I, I, I was listening this last, last week um, to uh, a sermon, a, a message that was being given. And uh, this, this man's an evangelist with Muslims. And uh, he, this Muslim man was really interested in Christianity and, 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 and learning about Jesus Christ. And so he gave him a Bible. Okay, so he gave the Muslim man a Bible. Brilliant thing to do. The best thing you can do. Just give him the real thing. Give him the Bible. So he gave this, his Muslim friend this Bible. And his friend went off. And he, he met up with him a week later. And he says, how have you found the Bible? It's wonderful. Okay. All right. So what are you reading? Revelation. Revelation. He said, you know, when I gave him the Bible, I should have told him to start with Matthew. Yeah, start with Matthew. And he seemed to have started and got very quickly to What do you make of Revelation? It's brilliant, he says. Well, not many Christians will say that. It's brilliant. How can it be brilliant? He says, it's all signs and symbols, but one thing is clear. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. We're on the victor's side. Jesus says power in heaven and on earth has been given to me we're on the victor's side Jesus Christ the shepherd king is living and working for us for us and I will trust we sang in you alone and I will trust in you alone your tender mercies your loving care but your mighty power. Jesus Christ is even now exercising his authority in heaven for us. Now this is one to get your head round. Today, Jesus is reigning in heaven for you. Does it feel like it? Why are you trusting your feelings? There's no wisdom in that. Trust the word of God and live by it. Jesus Christ is working in your life as victorious king for you. For you. But you say, there's difficulties in my life. Jesus Christ is ruling in your life for your good. But there's hardships in my life. Jesus Christ is working in your life for your good. But I don't feel that things are going well. Jesus Christ is reigning on high for your good. For your good. 
All authority has been given to him. And he has all power. And he loves you. And it's sometimes hard. And you understand when it says, and some doubted. And some doubted. But we must not doubt. We must believe what Jesus says. And we must live in the light of that. Thirdly, we are to advance the kingdom. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Hallelujah. Now this is what I want you to do. What, you mean I've got to do something as well? Yes. You're a citizen. Jesus is ruling. You're part of his kingdom. He has authority to tell you what to do. So here he is telling you what to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. I want you to go out and tell others about Jesus Christ. Go out and tell the good news. The good news, there's a king in heaven and he's reigning. Go out and tell them. Go out wherever you are. Well, we're told in the Bible to start at home. Jerusalem, wherever that is for us, the place we were born and bred and grew up. And Samaria, wherever that is, somewhere despised next door, like England. Okay, Jerusalem, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Then the ends of the earth. And you've got to go and tell people about Jesus Christ. And if you yourself cannot go, then help others to do so. And support them and pray for them and encourage them. And if you come across your, in your life a Paul who loves to travel the world and is brilliant at it, then support them and encourage them and work for them and pray for them so that the whole world hears about Jesus Christ. Because that's your job. That's why you're here. That's why when you became a Christian, God didn't just say, come home. That's why he said, stay there and speak about me. And tell others about me. One day you'll go home. But not today. Not yet. Today tell others. Go therefore. Make disciples. Tell others about Jesus Christ. We have a mission. We're on earth for a reason. Go and tell people. My fourth point. When you tell people you'll find something very remarkable happens. We are all united in God's name. Baptize, he says, go and make disciples. And this is what you've got to do. Baptize in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. So you're to go out into the world and tell people about Jesus Christ. And when they believe, you welcome them into the family. You baptize them. They become part of your kingdom, part of your family. It doesn't matter who they are. They can be anyone. They can be male or female. They can be slave or free. They can be powerful or weak. They can be Jew or Gentile. They can be Welsh or English, Scottish, maybe even French or German. Russian, Indian, Pakistani, Australian. And what you'll find is their family. Their family. 
I like to tell this story because I think it's so powerful. It was again an American minister and he's on a plane. He's going to South Africa and he's sat next to a businessman. The businessman says, what are you doing? He says, I'm going to South Africa. What are you doing in South Africa? I've been asked to speak at a number of events. And who are you staying with? Family. Oh, your family in South Africa. He says, yes, I've got family all over the world. I've got family in South Africa. And, uh, and uh, have you been to their house before? No, I've never met them before. He says, well, okay. So you're then lost, aren't you? So you go, um, what are they called? So he tells them the name, and it was a very South African, African, African name. Oh, are you, are you, are you black African? No, no, but they're my family. What, what, what will happen when you get to the airport? My family will meet me. And then what will happen? My family will take care of me. Where will you stay? I will stay in my family's house. What will you do? I will spend time with my family. Because all over the world, is the family of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter wherever you go. I, 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 I have family. I have family in Nigeria, where I was born. I have, I have family in India, where I visited a few years ago. And I went. I'd never met them before in my, in my life. I didn't know them. Didn't, I could have walked. They're family. They welcomed me into their home. I stayed in their home and I ate their food with them and they took care of me and they drove me on Indian roads when I'm glad they did because <laughs> I, I just didn't understand what was going on. I, I, I thought I understood roads until I realized that in India, a dual carriageway is an optional thing and you can meet someone coming down the same side of a dual carriageway following a cow. But I needed a family to, tell, take, to keep me safe all over the world. There's family. It's incredible, isn't it? My next point. Fifthly, we all follow the same teaching. So when you meet your family, when you meet your family, what unites you? What unites you is your faith in Jesus Christ and your trust in him. That's what unites you. That's what makes you family. And would you believe exactly the same as them? This book here, this wonderful book, these words of God. And so Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All that I have commanded you. And so wherever we are in the world, true Christians are asking today, what does Jesus want me to do? What does Jesus want me to do? Tonight, we're asking, what does Jesus want me to do? How does Jesus want me to live? In India, they're asking, what does Jesus want me to do? How does Jesus want me to live? In Japan, they're asking, what does Jesus want me to do? How does Jesus want me to live? All over the world, we're part of a huge family. We need to remember that. We need to remember that. And the family may not be growing very quickly in Europe, but the family is growing very, very fast in other parts of the world. The family is growing at a tremendous speed in Iran, at a tremendous speed. The family is growing at a tremendous speed in sub-Saharan Africa. The family is growing at a tremendous speed 
in places all over the world. In Nepal. In Nepal. The Church of Christ is growing today at a tremendous speed. Amazing. Every day, today, someone's been added to our family. A precious eternal family. And you're part of that. You're not alone. We're not alone. And we're all asking the same question. What does Jesus Christ want me to do today? And we're all going to the same book. and We're all getting the same answer. Live holy lives and speak about him to all that you meet. My final point, get to six. We're all still awake. The heat hasn't got to us. Is this the most important point? I don't know. Maybe. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus Christ is with you. Jesus Christ is with you. Wherever you are, he's with you. It doesn't matter what your circumstance. It doesn't matter what country you're in. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what sex you are. It doesn't matter. None of that matters if you're a Christian. Jesus Christ is with you. And he promises to always, always be with you. He's with you as a church. And he's with you personally. You are never, ever alone. He's always there. That's his promise. And he can make that promise because he's the risen savior with all authority. The risen Christ is ever present. Not in his physical person, but in his spirit. Because in his physical person, he's in heaven. You realize that, don't you? But in his spirit, he's with you now. And he's fellowshipping with you now. And as a Christian, you can say, Jesus Christ is with me. He is with me. I am never alone. Never alone. There are times in our lives when we're very busy and there are lots of people around us. And we can even go through years like that. And then there are times, maybe periods of time, when we just feel very alone. But as a Christian, you're never alone. He's always with you. And he's always beside you. Following the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he is now with us by his spirit. He actually tells the disciples, it's better that I leave you, for I will send a comforter. It's better that I leave you, I will send a comforter, and he will bring me to you. It's amazing. We adore him, and it's not idolatry. We're bold, and it's not arrogance. We have a mission in life. We are not aimless. We are to be welcoming, not parochial. We are to be disciplined, not do-it-yourself religion. And we are never alone. That's a Christian. That's what he promises. And that's what a Christian knows. Are you a Christian? Do you know him? Do you love him? Are you following him? Do you know what it means to have your sins forgiven? Do you know what it means to put your trust in him, not just for today, but for tomorrow and for the age to come? Follow him.
yield your life to him. He has conquered sin. He is king of kings.